the one connecting thread that we've seen from all of Monty's um, three first round draft picks at this point is that they're guys who are ready to play a role very quickly, not project guys. Um, and I think that Taylor Hendricks is um, shooting upside gives him the baseline to where at the very least that's his role for a year or two as he fills out. Laser I'd rather get W's and get checks. Welcome everybody to Beam Unit Episode 3. We have our special guest, Bryant West, draft expert extraordinaire uh, for the King's Herald. Um, I'm your co-host, Dalis Bonus, along with my other co-hosts, Elizabeth and Naima. Say hello. What's, What's up, going on? And Bryant... Welcome to Beam Unit. How are you? Hey, thanks for having me on, guys. I appreciate it. It's uh, pretty much always draft season for basketball fans. Absolutely, and if you have the time. So big ups to you if you're making the time, Brian. Oh, of course. Um, you know, it, it, it means something that uh, the Sacramento Kings are having their best season in uh, 16 years. And, uh, you know, fans still want to hear some draft coverage in, in early February. So uh, what more could I ask for? Exactly. But, uh, you know, I, I tweeted, like, I think last week, I was like, wow, remember this time last year, we were posting screen caps of our tankathon pools. Oh, yeah. And no, we're not it, doing that anymore. It, it, it's, it's truly going to be a completely different, I mean, let, let me knock on some wood here. Assuming that the rug isn't just massively pulled out from under us. <laughs> um, it, it's going to be really nice to analyze drafts when, you know, if, if the Kings are drafting in the late teens and the twenties, like the expectation going forward is going to change significantly. It, it, it's going to be that they bring in small positive additions, not saviors. And that's so refreshing considering how we've looked at prospects in the last decade. Like, it just just the last couple of years, Keegan Murray was going to have to be an immediate starter. Uh, Davion Mitchell was going to be a, bring his championship culture and be the X factor of the team from day one. Tyrese Halliburton was going to be the best playmaker on the team immediately. Arvin Bagley had to keep up with Luca. Now it's like, uh, assuming the Kings again don't fall out of the playoffs, uh, future rookies can just be rookies. That's going to be so nice. Man, I got goosebumps, man, after you saying that. Um, no, I love it. And I love that De'Aaron's our guy now. You know what I mean? Like five or six years into his career, he is becoming or he has become what we wanted him to become. Uh, and he has help. And we built around him properly, finally, right? Um, so with everybody, we ask their villain origin story. How did you become a fan of the Sacramento Kings? Uh, this is This is kind of sad because – the first NBA game I ever watched, I went to a pool party and watched game one of the 2002 NBA Western Conference Finals. It was the first NBA game I ever watched. And I was like, oh, I kind of like this sport. And that's, that's a hell of a way to start, Brian. it's all downhill since then. Like, there were good years in there that cemented me as a Kings fan. 
like the rest of Weber's career, uh, Brett Miller coming in, that gritty team that kept it going in 04, 05, 06. And then 07 rolled around and I was like, well, you know, I guess I could start figuring out what this draft thing's about now that the Kings have to pay attention to this. I remember when uh, Kevin Martin got picked and I was like, oh, I have no idea who these guys are. I should kind of pay attention to this. And yeah, that it, it, villain origin story is totally right. Because <laughs> I saw our buddy um, Meg posted on Twitter yesterday. She said, somebody asked her about, what is Bryant doing now that you can't just look at Tankathon every day? She's like, I look forward to when Bryant isn't needed anymore. Like, yeah, I, I'm that draft guy that comes around every year and says, hey, guys, here's why losing's okay. It's not going to be like that anymore. But it's still exciting, even if we pick 30th oh, if we pick, <laughs> or 29th. No, if we pick 30th, it's going to be whole different ballgame. Sacramento's going to be like, Sacramento's going to be lit. Seriously. And we'll be good for the next 50 years, uh-huh. honestly. Just give us one. Just give Psychologically. One. That's all I need. So speaking of lit, this season, the Kings obviously after every win, they light the beam. Do you think lighting the beam and this whole beam thing has kind of basically put life into the city of Sacramento and the Sacramento Kings like as a whole, like as an organization? Do you think this has like motivated this team uh, to do, you know, the things they're doing now? Uh, Absolutely to an extent. I, I adore the beam. Uh, I think it was a perfect idea at the perfect time. Uh, I think I'm stealing this point here from my buddy Greg, um, but it's funny to think how we and the rest of the basketball world would have handled the beam if it was introduced like a year ago, and then it would have only been lit 30 times over the whole year, and it would have been a, a joke. But now with this exciting team, like the, the, the team themselves took on the name beam team. We didn't have to give it to them. They embraced it. The whole city has embraced it. It's just a super fun way to celebrate the launch of the new era of successful Kings basketball. Um, as to putting life into the city, I, I haven't been to a Kings game this year. Uh, I live out in Santa Rosa, and I haven't made that trip yet. So I need to come and see how much life has been pumped into Sacramento right after victories. Well, I think it's exciting, too, because even you know when they went on the road, you see people driving to the arena just to see the beam lit. Like that's, what's crazy is, you know, they'll drive from however far in Sacramento they'll go just to see the beam. So uh, it's exciting. I feel like it just puts a whole new spin on it. I mean, obviously in the past there was the cowbells and now we're kind of moving into this new thing in the future with, you know, lighting the beam. So it's definitely exciting and obviously winning makes it all better. But yeah, I think it was, Whoever created the beam is the smartest person on this planet and should make a million dollars off of that because that is just like the most awesome thing they could have come up with. But it's definitely, it's been so much fun, you know, seeing everyone buy into it. And even it's funny, like teams when they troll it too, because it's like, come on, be original guys. Like one team did it, haha, funny. But like now after every loss, like the teams, you know, the opposing team tries to troll it. And I was like, yeah, that's kind of old now, you know, like someone already did it. You can't do it again. So it, it's just lovely because I think every team in the league is probably jealous uh-huh. of the Kings and their being. No, exactly. I kind of I, I kind of hope the team embraces the tr- 
controlling when they lose because, like you said, there's no team. There's no organization in sports right now that's not kicking themselves like, hey, why didn't we think of firing a giant colored laser into the sky after we get wins? Like, it, it's such a, it's such a, uh, on the surface, basic concept, but it's, it's, it's such a cool idea. Um, and, you know, like the, the, the defensive player of the game belt, you know, a couple teams have done that. I can't, I don't think that anybody has pointed out, hey, here's a team that has shot a beam into space when they win games. No, that's really cool. Yeah, that's so true. I remember I was walking around downtown. I I wasn't aware there were Kings games on the days I went out with friends. And, like, I was just like, y'all, let's go see the beam. Because, like, we just won. I, I was checking the ESPN score. So it was just really cool to see that. It's such a unique concept, like, like you said, like no one else thought of it, but whoever came up with it, they need a raise. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but uh, speaking of the draft, um, do you think that Victor Wembanyama is a clear cut number one overall pick? Because you see his highlights, and I, I you probably, you, maybe you watch like entire games, but I don't know. It's like it's just unreal what you can see him doing at his height and his size. So, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And that's not an insult to Scoot Anderson, um, who is almost certainly going to go number two. Um, and he's putting up great numbers in the G league right now. Uh, but when your competition for the top pick is a seven, four dude, whose main basketball weaknesses are, uh, I don't know. He's kind of sort of reliant on his dominant hand right now. And, we've never seen a guy at his size do this stuff. How in the heck are we supposed to evaluate him? Like, I hope that everybody in his draft class just understands why Wemenyama is just breaking draft evaluators' minds. In this modern NBA, you just can't pass up a guy with that combination of size and skill. It's just, it's just impossible. He's definitely the best prospect that I've evaluated in in my time of doing this as an armchair scout it's it's incredible to watch absolutely like seeing him like do the things he does at his height like I'm like this isn't real like I see just highlights on whether it be on house of highlights or YouTube or something or Twitter and I'm like this guy is unreal yeah it, it what he does is just special um and and I'm really glad that the NBA has so quickly embraced him and started getting his games um, mm-hmm. in the app too. Cause um, otherwise it, it would just be the same thing from uh, uh, oh, geez, five years ago, six years ago with Luca now um, where nobody could watch hit full games unless you found them on YouTube and so many draft conversations could have been skipped over if, if everybody had had full ability to go watch his games like we can now with Wendy. So um, I'm glad that the NBA is embracing him so quick and, and whatever team gets him next year, it's he's going to just be so fun to watch for the next decade and a half. It's so refreshing compared to when Ricky Rubio <laughs> was in the draft uh-huh. lottery. And we were basically, in, and I felt like um, Sacktown Royalty at the time was divided. It was like, I was in the Tyreek Evans camp. I felt like a lot of people were in the Rick Rubio camp, but it was like, guys, you're really basing this on highlights. What are we doing? You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, it, it's a lot easier. Thankfully, it's a lot easier now to go look at Euro players um, 
aside from just highlights. Um, and it, it is incredibly refreshing to see the, you know, the game of basketball is growing more and more and more global, but um, the, the challenge has always been for NBA fans, NBA audience, the NBA themselves to embrace um, uh, non-college, non-G League players uh, in the draft earlier and earlier and, and not just, you know, base opinions on highlights or, or you know, tiny snippets of what people say. Um, and, and it's great that that Wemby has already got such a, a cult following across the whole league. For sure. Um, as of the other lottery picks, do you think anyone uh, that team select will shock? Like, other than we obviously know Victor's probably going number one. Any other prospects that will shake up the draft? Uh, you know, this one's so hard to call ahead of time, uh, especially since I'll, I'll admit I'm, I'm just now getting going into my own research. But I will say, uh, when I sat down to watch two of the guys that we'll talk about today, um, Taylor Hendricks and Chris Murray, I did so thinking, okay, these are guys who will probably be in the new Kings draft range, you know, in the, in the very late teens, early 20s. And having watched some of their games now, I'm, I'm just not so sure that both of them are lottery talents come June. Uh, they offer skill sets and, and size and positional versatility that every NBA team should want. Um, so I guess when it comes to shocking people, like will the NBA fandom be ready for another Murray to get drafted that high? Um, will people be shocked if a guy named Taylor Hendricks playing at Central Florida uh, gets taken in the same range as, as other guys whose names have been plastered all over ESPN the last couple of months. Like, uh, you know, ask me again in a couple of months. We'll see what mock drafts have to stay then. But uh, those are two guys I, I think we'll be talking about as, as lottery talents pretty soon. So speaking of Chris Murray, because, you know, at the beginning of the season, I kind of saw that he would probably be taken, you know, somewhere in the 20s. Um, so are you saying now that Chris Murray is potentially a higher maybe in the top 10? Uh, you know, it's hard for me to say to give any specific range, but you just watch this kid. And for a lot of reasons that we talked about last year about his brother. He just he, his versatility is that of a player that every team should want, um, and at some point, so it, some lottery team is going to seriously consider maybe pull the trigger. Um, he's got the same physical, instinctual versatility on both ends. He's willing to be a floor spacer or attack off the dribble. He's capable of banging with bigger players for rebounds and. I mean, 20 and a half points, 8.5 rebounds, almost two assists, 40, 50% from the floor, 35% from three. Like, that's a that's a stat line leading a Big Ten team. I don't think uh, I was going to go as far as they did last year. But like, he, he very clearly could be playing on an NBA court today. And I imagine that there's a bunch of NBA teams who are kicking themselves right now that they didn't give him a first-round draft promise last year. And it seems like he's going to be taken outside the top 10, right? Due to his age, not his skill set, right? I would sure hope not because, um, you know, if there's anything that, that I, 
I struggled uh, with my evaluation of Keegan last year. I had him fifth overall, so it's not like I, I had him super low or anything. But the one point that has absolutely been hammered out of me the last couple of years is is stop putting ceilings on smart players based on their age. Um, and and Keegan certainly shown that. Chris has certainly shown that just this year, like his growth from what he was last year off the bench to now he is the leading scorer, the leading um, shot creator on this team. Like, hey, that it, it, it the age comparison doesn't make sense to me anymore unless it's very specifically between two guys with very similar skill sets. Yeah, I'm still wrapping my head around the fact that people love talking about, oh, and, and they'll be under our control at such a young age. And it's like, there's so many draft picks that don't stay with their team that originally drafted them. You know what I mean? So, and not to mention, if they're drafted really young, usually they're still developing. So they get sent to the G League anyways, unless they're like a prodigy or a phenom, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, it, that's definitely been something that I've tried more and more to just kick out of my own evaluation because players are players good players will come in at 18 good players will come in at 23 um and and nobody develops in the same same arc and uh you know those missing year and a half from covid just just screwed all of the uh developmental uh processes for everybody up so um it, it, it to me is one of the um I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say that it wouldn't be nice to get a 19-year-old phenom, but, you know, when it, it's not the most important thing. So full transparency, um, I brought in the big guns, Bryant West, because I know he's doing his research thoroughly. I know he's watching games. Uh, I myself have not uh, gone deep in my draft deep dives this year. Um, I, I'm relegated to, to Pac-12 basketball and UCLA, and that's it. Uh, I have found myself enjoying Bryce Sensible, so I, I do catch Ohio State games from time to time. Uh, but I'm going to let you begin, Bryant, on uh, you know our prospects in the 15 to 30 range. Yeah, well, we could talk about Bryce first. Um, and, and if anybody wants to you know uh, go watch a, a prospect game or two, I just go watch the Iowa uh, Ohio State game from I think it was the end of January because um, both Keegan I mean sorry dang both Chris and Bryce Sensible had excellent games for their respective teams um, but I mean I'm not surprised that Bryce Sensible has kind of become this um, this darling of, of uh, hoops watchers because like. He's built like he was training for a different Ohio State sport. And he's one of the crazier shooting freshmen I've ever seen. Like, that shot selection is insane, except he's making them. Um, and, and, and at 6'6", 200, I think he's like 240 pounds of muscle. I, it's just weird to see a guy at his size hitting 46% from three and 50% from the field. And averaging 17 and a half points per game. So. And he makes difficult shots. Mm -hmm. I'm like, he already has a turnaround jumper that he makes with ease. Uh, you know, 
I have the idea that good draft prospects are, are players that already have like automatic go-to moves that they score. They seem to score like easily on, and, and he has that. So he already has a pull-up game in the mid-range. Uh, his catch-and-shoot th- threes look effortless. Um, and if he has the ball around the rim, I feel like he's a bucket, right? So, And like you said, he's built, so he plays through contact. Yeah. So there's been so many times where I've seen him drive, get bumped, uh, and, and still have body control to make the layup. And what, it's incredible. And one thing I really love about this game is that, you know, if you just said, hey, if you just laid out the skill set, oh, he's an incredible shooter, 17 and a half points per game, doing these on these efficiencies, like I guess a base guess would be, oh, this is a guy who absolutely dominates the ball. No, he moves so well without that ball doesn't need to dribble the air out of the ball to get going offensively. Um, and like you said, he, at the very least, his three-point shot's going to give him a baseline skill at the next level. Um, it's just a real positive sign for his future role in the NBA. He's got an offense that can be really scaled up. Um, t- too often we hear the conversations of like tough shot makers in college don't always translate to the NBA. And I think it's fair to, you know, worry about him a little bit because he's not the most explosive guy. He had two knee surgeries in high school, apparently. Um, So I don't know that he'll be a guy who breaks defenses down, rushing to the rim. But, like, his intersection of skill and shooting ability, I'm not all that worried about him figuring it out on offense in the NBA. Well, I think about AJ Griffin, who has similar injuries mm-hmm. and issues, and he's killing it. And as a role player, and and you could still be a high scoring role player and, and be very effective in the NBA. I think I, um, that that was that was ahead. another thing that really got me um, last year when when we were talking about uh, Keegan Murray was that the role of role player it became a curse and Lord knows uh, I had it on record. I, I wanted them to take Jaden Ivy, but anybody who came in there and was like, ah, we can't, we can't take Keegan cause he's a role player. Well, Doug Christie was a role player and he's one of the most beloved Kings of all time. So like any dude that we talk about being a role player at the next level, that's not an insult. It's not an insult to anybody. Yeah, I totally agree. Like, role players literally win you championships sometimes with the impact they have on teams. So, like, people try to use the word or the phrase role player as a negative thing when it totally isn't. You're on an NBA team or you're on a professional team and you're playing a role specific to the team so they can be successful. So, And sometimes role players are role players until they're not, and then they become stars. You know what I mean? Like, nobody called Drew... Holiday or Chris Middleton stars until they became stars. So, yeah, that's all I have to say about that. Um, Have you watched any film on Julian Phillips? Nope, not at all. So Julian Phillips, uh, he's in Tennessee. He's projected at 29 um, in Jeremy Wu's first big board. I don't know if he's moved up or moved down. Uh, He's 6'8". Again, he's projected in the late first round. Uh, he has that NBA height and length uh, for his position. 
Really good lateral speed on defense. He's projected as that three and D guy, but unfortunately his three is just not falling. He's like less than 30% from three. Um, but I watched him in a game uh, versus Texas with that other 6'8 prospect, Dylan Mitchell, who, and this is the tough thing about watching college games. A lot of prospects, their names because of their high school resume. Yeah. But then when they get to college, depending on their role and how they are used in the offense, I mean, this guy was non-existent. So Dylan Mitchell from Texas, who was also projected at like 25 on Jerry Mubu's big board, mm-hmm. was non-existent. And it, and it could have been because Julian Phillips was guarding him, but yeah, barely got any touches. I was not impressed. But uh, I remember as far as Julian Phillips, huh? I, Go ahead. I remember just like a month and a half ago when Dylan Mitchell was a, a guy everybody was talking about in the top 10. Um, and, and now it just seems like everybody – it's just dropping him to the late first. So it's just a good reminder that every aspect of prospect discussions will fluctuate between now and June. Right. Well, it's like Kendall Brown, right? Of Baylor last year. Mm-hmm. Like people had him going top 10 or uh, like at 10 maybe. And then he kind of fell off, unfortunately. But yeah, so Julian Phillips, uh, I will keep an eye on him. Uh, he does have a nice touch around the rim. Hopefully he finds a shot so he could be, you know, a true three and D prospect. Well, I gotta go get, ahead and go on. I got to get go into ahead. some SEC teams. Um, so I'll put uh, Julian Phillips high up there because you know Lord Bryant Bryant loves some uh, some defensive positive uh, forward players. Um, the the one name I definitely want to talk about um, is Taylor Hendricks um, from uh, Central Florida. Um, he's been a joy to watch, especially that game against Houston. Um, and I, I, I hate that I'm talking myself so up on a guy who I just said probably is going to be talked about in the lottery conversation uh, in a, a bit. But just go watch them. Go watch that game against Houston. Um, leading scorer, rebounder, and rim protector at Central Florida. 14.3 points, seven rebounds, uh, 1.8 blocks per game, and shooting 38.5% from three, and that three-point stroke is sweet. Um, And what I like is that, you know, there's something that the one connecting thread that we've seen from all of Monty's um, three first-round draft picks at this point is that they're guys who are ready to play a role very quickly, not project guys. Um, And I think that Taylor Hendricks' is, um, shooting upside gives him the baseline to where, at the very least, that's his role for a year or two as he fills out. Because, you know, on defense, I think he's a, a very sharp defensive player and good lateral quickness to switch out on the perimeter while also being physical uh, and, and a good rim protector. Um, but so often with prospects, it's, hey, they're doing this at the college level. It'll translate immediately. Well, especially for big guys, that translation is not quick. It is not easy. Um, And I think that if James Wiseman has proven anything, it's we have to be patient with project players. Um, And I don't think that's what Taylor Hendricks uh, at UCF is. Um, So highly encourage anybody who wants to see a guy who probably won't be in the Kings range, go watch him. And not only that, they always, um, 
talk about the level of competition in that particular conference. And time and time again, that's been proven kind of wrong, yeah. right? Well, especially since he had such a great game against Houston um, and then had a good game against Cincinnati a few days ago that I haven't gone and watched yet. But, um, you know, guys can only play the people who are in front of them. And it's, you know, considering um, competition is a aspect that you have to consider with anybody. Uh, but it, just like pretty much any other aspect of the player's game, it cannot be the end-all for or against somebody. Absolutely. Were you going to talk about Max Lewis? Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'm a, a son of the WCC, so I'll always talk about the WCC's uh, prospects. <laughs> right. um, yeah, he's playing at Pepperdine right now. Um, Pretty funny that we uh, were talking about uh, Max Lewis on the day that we just got a, a, a Pepperdine player from two years ago. Um, but for Max Lewis, uh, great six, seven, two hundred pounds, good size and length for the wing, excellent movement shooter, uh, can hit off the catch, off the setback, uh, would thrive in a movement offense at the next level. Loves getting the post, getting the ball into the mid post, and backing down guys and do a turnaround shot. Um, clearly wants to be an excellent shooting creator at the next level. Um, I definitely think that he could be in sacks range despite his shooting promises because uh, WCC coaches clearly watched his non-conference tape and they figured out how to lessen his shooting impact. Um, his athleticism in transition when he's off the ball just doesn't translate to it with the, with the ball in his hands. Um, I don't know that I've seen him score at the basket outside of transition opportunities and some cut plays. And now he's shooting like 43% from the field and 26% from three in conference play. Um, and Pepperdine is doing really bad in the WCC. So uh, this is a guy who I maybe more of a project outside of his shooting um, than some fans are comfortable with, but that shooting upside and his defense, if it comes around, He's not a good not a good team defender right now, but I mean, I, honestly, ninety percent of guys who come out of college aren't good team defenders when they get into the NBA. So, um, I think he's a good realistic uh, uh, prospect in the Kings range right now. Um, I see him very high on some boards. It just leave me scratching my head. Like, ah, eh, I, I, I would not have him in the lottery, but hey, new Kings range needs to be the new baseline for us, I guess. Right. How do you feel about his athleticism compared to, let's say, last year's Jalen Williams, Santa Clara? Well, Jalen Williams was just such a force on both ends and, and pretty much everything across offense and defense. Um, Max Lewis, when he's in transition um, and when he's cutting off the ball, I think he's pretty damn good. Um, but like I said, with, with the ball in his hands, he just doesn't attack the basket all that often. And that's something I'd definitely like to see from him, see if he can get past guys, because that's the difference between him being a, a two-level scorer and a three-level scorer. And, that, and that's a pretty decent um, uh, difference when you're talking about uh, creator at the next level. Did you have anybody else you wanted to uh, talk about? Um no, I think we talked about the, the guys who um, uh, 
um, I'm most interested in it, that I've just looked at. And again, I've just only now started my, my draft evaluation. All right. Well, it's time for me to go full Homer. Um, I don't think anybody who I talk about may uh, be drafted this early as far as late in the first round when the Kings are going to draft. I'm just going to talk about my UCLA guys, my big four. Um, you were curious about a Dembona. He's 6'10", with an alleged seven foot four wingspan. Um, so to me, as far as physical tools, he has an NBA body and NBA ability. He's twitchy. He's bouncy. He has a super high motor. Um, so yeah, this is the laziest comp in best case scenario. But yeah, Kevin Looney, Kevon Looney. You know what I mean? And as a UCLA fan, I don't recall Kevon Looney doing anything. I know he was <laughs> drafted. <laughs> he was the 30th pick in the first round. But I don't recall him doing anything special. I remember and, the evaluations of Kevon Looney being completely different from what Kevon Looney is now for the Golden State Warriors. Exactly. So to me, a Dembona with his raw skills and tools could totally become something special. Um, he rebounds well. Again, high motor. Every week he shows new wrinkles, uh, whether it's just a pump fake or a spin move. Uh, he has, you know, a developing mid-range game. Uh, when he's around the rim, you know, he has enough of a handle to get around people. Um, and, yeah, if you look at his stats, it doesn't show a lot of rebounds. And that's because Jaime Jaquez is, is usually the main guy that's going to the boards, right? Mm. So, yeah, his weakness is that he's very raw, and we all know Mick Cronin uh, hates playing his freshman, so he doesn't get a lot of playing time. He has a very short leash, so it's like 20 minutes, and if he has more than two or three fouls, he's going to pull him out. But I think he's one to watch. If anything, he'll be a very tough uh, prospect next year. Um, of course, the next person everybody knows, Jaime Hawk is 6'7". He's projected to go in the early second round. Um, I've seen him as high as uh, mid to late first. Um, our friends at Draft Deeper, they called him a 6'7", Kevin McHale, which I think is super generous. But, you know, I laughed at that. But um, he does have the footwork. I will say that. He's super coachable. Um, he has one of those crafty old man games. He's a good passer. He's great off ball. Um, I think he'll actually be able to cook in the NBA with that spacing since, you know, in college they still pack the paint, right? Uh, he's a great rebounder. He scores in a variety of ways. Pick and pops. He drives. Uh, but again, he's 6'7". If he's 6'7", Kevin McHale, that means he doesn't have elite athleticism. So he does struggle against um, taller, bouncier people. You know what I mean? Uh, and then his three-point shooting, which is what he'll need if he's going to succeed, he's only at 32%. Uh, so I call him like Tyler Hansborough with the bag. You know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> Oh, I like that one. Luca Garza, he has Luca Garza's heart with uh, PGA Washington skills. You know what I mean? I, you know, I would love to have him, honestly. Oh yeah, no, especially if he's if that uh, uh, draft stock stays in the second round. Like those are the kind of dudes that um, teams just are going to take, and then everybody's going to be like, "Wow, why, why did this guy fall into the second round?" You didn't even talk about like. I, I, his steal numbers, he almost did two steals a game. Like, this is a dude who plays on both ends of the court. And I remember, unfortunately, 
uh, oh, my beloved St. Mary's Gales uh, lost to UCLA uh, in the tournament last year. He, he's a legitimate NBA player on a team with like three or four of them. And trust me, I don't want to play you guys again this year. So hopefully we're in different brackets. Trust me. I, I, I don't trust Mick Cronin's offense sometimes. Um, our next guy is Amari Bailey, who, who is kind of an internet darling, but he kind of fell off for whatever reason. Um, coming out of high school, I felt like he was more talked about, but lately, and I think because he was injured for about six to eight games during the season, he's kind of fell off, but he's still uh, in a lot of draft boards in the middle of the second round. Uh, 6-5. I think he has elite athleticism, uh, fluid body control. Um UCLA, and we all know, with most college teams, there's always one or two guys that could legitimately break down defenses, and Amari is that guy for UCLA. I hope Mick Cronin uses him more uh, in that way as time goes on because we all know in the college game, um, there's a lot of passing around the perimeter, and they don't know what to do, and then they jack, a shot, jack up a shot. So uh, I think Amari would be perfect the perfect choice to break down a defense with his speed and his separation skills. Um, he has a mid-range pull-up. He's shooting 40% on three, uh, only on two attempts, but I think that's going to increase as time goes on because he is coming back from inf- uh, injury. But again, he's a freshman. So again, short leash, 20 minutes a game usually only, and I wish he would have more, a little more run. And maybe they will as they ramp him up for uh, the tournament. And then the last guy, uh, I know you've been reading about him. He's an internet darling right now. Jalen Clark, another 6'5", absolute stud, projected to go in the middle of the second round. Um, His strength is defense. He averages two and a half steals per game. Um, Elite, elite athleticism. I'm exaggerating, but he's, to me, uh, I recall Russell Westbrook and Kevin Love, I'm not going to say he has Russell's athleticism, but it's close to it. So a really poor, cheap comp would be Russell Westbrook with a three. But I'm exaggerating. Uh, but, yeah, he's coachable, great work ethic. He's always getting in passing lanes. So I think defensively his feel for the game is off the charts. Well, I hope for your sake, uh, uh, Monty McNair listens to this and snags one of the uh, UCLA guys in the second round next year because – that's just an embarrassment of riches, um, especially at the guards at the guard to forward spots. Um, and who knows? Maybe one of those guys will stay around, and, and then you can be talking about him for two, three years. I don't know. I'm against the I thing. know Clark's a junior, isn't he? Yeah, but I, you know, I don't know. Do you, do you think Mon- Monty even wants to draft in the second round? It doesn't seem like. <laughs> He plays the percentages, right? Because most people don't develop out of the second round. So he's like, well, why don't I just get somebody who's already established? Well, and then he got Keon Ellis. I remember how upset we all were when they traded that second. And then they took the guy who most of us wanted them to take in the second anyway. Um, you know, the, the second round's so complicated now because it's not just about, hey, you got to take the talent. It's also teams if they don't have the roster spots which we didn't last year and probably won't this year it's okay who who could we get who'd sign a two-way contract and then it's it's if if players know they're going to get a two-way contract that i do believe that there's some gamesmanship of yeah i don't need to go take any more workouts with with 
teams who may take me in the second round because I know that I'll, I'll just be snagged up on a two-way and, and prove myself that way. Um, so, you know, uh, if Monty just trades all his second-round picks for the next couple of years, hey, just do that before the draft, please, just so that we can avoid uh, wringing our hands when it's like, hey, wait a minute, uh, Hardy was there. Why didn't we take him? those kind of conversations all over again. Mm-hmm. I was looking into the overtime elite program with um, it just started, I believe, like a year or two ago. I'm not sure. Are they allowed to draft from there just yet? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So I was just um, the question is, um, who's the best prospect from that there? Well, it's definitely the Thompson Twins. Um, and I'll fully admit, they, they're not ones I've watched a ton of yet, but uh, Amen and Asur Thompson um, are, are just two athletic freaks and just spend five minutes looking at their highlights and you'll see why they've been on the radar for uh, NBA scouts for a couple of years now. Uh, and it's cool that they're taking the, the, the new league by storm um, and just putting up absolutely ridiculous numbers um, and yeah, it, it, it's pretty cool to to see that league go off. Um, let's see, are there any other ones that I'm on my list? No, I think those are the only two dudes I've, I've even tracked in overtime, but I'm sure there's plenty more. Um, yeah. Well, it's unfortunate that overtime elites like interface. Uh, I think they have a YouTube channel, then their website. It's just not intuitive. So it's like, I want to watch a game, but, and I want to watch a game live if I could. But it's like it's so weird. So I, I yeah, I haven't really watched any of overtime elite. Yeah. And well, I'm sure it. as and sure as we get later and later into the process, um, those games will get up. But yeah, I think it is kind of annoying that it's so hard to watch a game live, especially when they've got two of the top five, six ish um, draft prospects playing in their league. Like, I think you'd want to get that out of everybody. And they actually have games played at a at a private school gym like 20 minutes west of me in Buckeye, Arizona. But it's always teams that don't have any of the prospects. So it's it's like, oh, overtime elite. Oh, no, the um, uh, Thompson Twins aren't playing there. So it's kind of sad. Oh, I had the same reaction um, when, uh, when the G League started the Ignite program and it was going to be played in uh, – they were going to play their home games in Walnut Creek and I was so excited oh my god I can go to Walnut Creek and watch uh, you know top flight prospects and then now no, no, they're moving them to what is it, Vegas pretty sure it was Vegas yeah yeah that was disappointing alright so Brian in a perfect world where the lottery picks that we want drop to us for no reason um, who would you want if they were Usually projected in the eighteen fifteen range. Who's that one player that you would want to drop to us? Yeah, this is no surprise to anybody who's ever paid attention to what kind of player I like. But uh, Sheriff Walker um, playing at Houston, um, he, he's just—he's the type of prospect I always gravitate towards. He's a power wing who who doesn't just give a care on defense, but he's legitimately a defensive difference maker for Houston. Um, fact that he joined this veteran Houston team, which made it to the elite eight last year, I think. Um, and they start 
Otherwise, juniors and seniors, like, what he's doing is impressive for any freshman, let alone a guy in that kind of context. Um, 6'8", 240 pounds, super strong, physical, but also has the lateral quickness and length to handle switches and smaller assignments. Um, he needs to continue to prove that his shooting ability is real, but he can take the ball to the basket, flashes some shooting in the mid-range, and that three-level scoring position is there. I combine that with his physicality and defensive competitiveness, like he was destined to be a draft crush, who is now outside of the Kings range. I know our buddy Drew was very, very high on him too. He and I bantied his name around when, when it was, well, you know, if the Kings are in the play-in, maybe he's in that range, but now he's like top 18. No, I, I think it's your guys' fault that he moved up. That's, yeah. that's what I'm going to say. Us talking about him on Twitter got everybody uh, everybody paying attention. Wasn't playing for the number two team in the NCAA right now. <laughs> no, he he looks like Jalen Duran with ball skills. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's he ridiculous. looks he looks like the healthy version of OG Ananubi was in Indiana, um, and, and with with more shooting touch because OG couldn't shoot till he got in the NBA. Yeah, no doubt. He's exciting to watch for sure. All right, we're going to open up the microphones. Uh, if you guys want to speak, uh, feel free to request. However, we are going to go like, you know, one by one uh, so we could have a true conversation with you. Um, as you know, just like I say in Capital Talk Spaces, this ain't no Lakers space. We're going to be super respectful and we're not going to try to troll anybody or throw anybody under the bus. Um, so feel free to request to get on the mic. You already know what to do. So while we're waiting for people uh, to request, Brian, what three musical acts would you want headlining your own musical festival? I'm not going to be as interesting as uh, as Jill was in the last pod because like, my musical tastes are stuck in the 70s and 80s. So if we're talking dream lineup, I'd have to go back in time. That's okay. Uh, That's yeah. okay. Uh, it, Queen's headlining. Uh, like, Freddie Mercury to me is the greatest vocalist I've ever heard. Um and then, you know, I had to I'd think about this for a while. I, I, I put Fleetwood Mac in Boston in there just because I looked up my YouTube music playlist. I was like, okay, what actual artists have I listened to the most over the last couple of years? Yeah, yeah, that's it. Um, I, I love me classic rock. So you said Queen Boston and who? Fleetwood Mac. Nice. Did you watch that American Horror Story? Uh with the witches no and they talked about um what's her face the lead singer fleetwood mac being the <laughs> okay no, they called never. her the white witch and she was like this grand icon with among witches and yeah it was really interesting now rumors to me is one of the greatest albums ever and it was a dual breakup album which is incredible yeah, that, that was kind of a messy divorce, but it produced one of the one of the better musical productions of that generation. So it's kind of worth it for the rest of us. No, I, I'm of the belief that that pain truly does make great art. So uh, yeah, I'm all about it. All right, guys, uh, feel free to request if you want to speak, if you have draft question, questions, or if you just want to talk Kings, let's go. We could talk about yeah. our new talk? acquisition, Kessler yeah. Edwards. I see Jill in here. I know. And I see Scott Pollard's burner. 
I know you guys got something to say. I know for a fact that Miss Jill was, aside from me and and whatever the name, whoever uh, Kang's draft is, I don't know his name, but there weren't any more excited Kessler Edwards fans a year and a half ago. Daniel, thanks for your patience, man. What's going on? What's up, guys? What's up, Brian? Um, Yeah, so my head almost popped off today. Um, when I got the notification, the Woj bomb, um, because I, I like I assume, thirty uh, percent of uh, of the fan base did, as I saw Kessler Edwards, and my brain said Walker Kessler, and I nearly I was naked in my office. I jumped out of my clothes. I was like, "What the hell just happened?" Like, we just, oh my god, we're get, oh my god, oh my god, and then I read it like three times, and I was like, "Oh," and then I was like, oh, "Okay," and I'm still happy. I like the deal. Amani is like an assassin, dude. He just picks up like quality players, um, or at least quality rentals, you know, quite literally for nothing, um, which is something that, you know, our other executives in the past just couldn't or wouldn't do for whatever reason. So props, uh, props to him for that. But I actually had a question for you guys. Coming into the trade deadline, what is your guys' one player – like what, regardless of position, if you could land one player, who would it be, and how would you go about it? If you're Monty, well, just to circle back on on your surprise there when the trade came down, I know for a fact that there were multiple people on Twitter who saw the tweet with Brooklyn Nets trade K E to the Kings. And there was a totally different name that people were attaching to that than uh, Walker Kessler. Um, but your your confusion there was understandable. Um, as for uh, my answer, and, and apparently the rest of the Kings fandom doesn't agree with me here because I've seen multiple um, uh, polls about this. It's OG Ananobi. And I, I hate saying that because I know the asking price. And if the asking, if if Messiah Jury put the asking price in front of me, I imagine it would be too high even for me. But if you told me that Monty could go out there and add anybody who's actually, you know, aside from anybody who's realistic to the slightest extent, yeah. Uh, mainly just because he's the kind of guy who I think he's the almost perfect third piece for this team alongside Sabonis and Fox. Um, he, he really helped this defense immediately. But on one hand, he's missed like I think a fourth of his games over the last couple of years. And that asking price is not going to be cheap. So I I'm, I'm totally understand anybody who says they, they're not even going to consider him. Yeah, mine would be Nas Reed. I love that one. I heard you yeah. talk about him uh, last time. The, the right kind of smart gamble for a team. Yeah, well, I, for me, it was like when we played them last year and he was shooting threes and blocking shots and he looked athletic as hell. And then, you know, you, you go look and he's like 6'10 and then he's a really good three-point shooter uh, with athleticism so he could bang. Oh, man, it's like... Why not him? So, and it's like, why aren't the Minnesota Timberwolves better? You know, knowing with all the talent and length that they have. So it's it's really weird. Uh, Elizabeth and Naima, what do you guys think? 
personally, for me, it's kind of difficult. I mean, it depends. I mean, I would like, you know, like someone like Josh Hart, I wouldn't mind um, them trading for. Obviously, Ananobi would be great, but the asking price, I mean, is a little too steep, I think, for that. Um, I've always, I've kind of talked about this a little bit. I know it's a weird one, but I feel like Dallas is just letting him waste away. But I wouldn't mind, honestly, seeing JaVale McGee uh, because he has that Mike Brown tie to him. And I feel like he could still go out there and produce a little bit off of the bench. So that's someone I wouldn't mind, like a little, you know, a little trade or anything like that. Cause I honestly, I don't think the Kings are going to do anything drastic. I think it's just going to be some little key pieces um, on their bench. And then, you know, there's talk about them maybe going through the buyout market and go that route as well. So yeah, I mean, it's just going to be interesting to see what happens. I think either we're going to be really surprised or, you know, maybe Monty doesn't make any moves. I mean, we just don't know at this point besides what they made today. So just JaVale McGee, you know, playing for eight to 10, 12 minutes, just being a deterrent, right? Yeah, because he could still go out there. I feel like he could still get you those rebounds, the block shots. He can, you know, do things, do things defensively that we kind of need. And like I said, he's, you know, been with Mike Brown, you know, for a few years as well. So I don't know. I think I've kind of talked about him a little bit, and he's just kind of wasting away on Dallas's bench. So I think that would be an interesting uh, name to watch. Yeah, I agree with the Javel McGee. I think I brought that up like at the beginning of the season, where, where when we were like. 0-4, I'm like, we need some rim protecting, like, this is crazy, and some rebounding, so, uh, but I know he's barely played for the Mavs, but again, maybe change of scenery would change that. Um, you said regardless of position and everything, and I'm like, I'm the most delusional person you'll meet on Twitter, so I'm like, why can't we get Kevin Durant? Like, <laughs> I know it's never gonna happen, but it's like, <laughs> I'm, you said any, you said regardless of anything, so. <laughs> Remind yeah, me to make a why not sample. Go ahead, Brian. Yeah, no, that that was the question. And if you wanna, if you wanna swing for Kevin Durant, more power to you. Uh, I think that would be a level of chaos that would terrify me, um, but. There's no doubting that Kevin Durant's one of the 10 greatest players of all time. So, Just totally mortgage our future for him. You know what yeah, I mean? That, for, for a good, decent chance at a championship, eh, I, I get it if they took the risk. Well, the hilarious thing and ironic thing about it is, I mean, of the available options that currently exist, what would be more Kangs than, like, classic Kangs than to take – what we've got going on now, the first good thing we had in, in the better part of two decades, and then just be like, fuck it, Durant. You know, like, that would be, that would be so Kangs. No, you know what be, would be the most Kangs thing is trading for Ben Simmons. That would be the most Kangs oh. thing. Don't, don't even put that back out in the universe. Like, I was fine getting Ben Simmons a, a, a year ago if it was at a lower price, but now it's just like nobody nobody should want to trade for him right now. Daniel, who would you want? You know, that's a great question. Um, I've given it a lot of thought, um, and I don't – I really like the Naz Reed call. Um, he's just for, I'm assuming for the right price, you know, would be a great addition. Like you guys have been highlighting, just, it just fills a need, you know? 
Um, I'm not, I, I, I'm not on the Matisse Thibault train. I see a lot of people that are like so quick to jump the gun on Matisse Thibault or really any Sixers player, to be honest. Um, so yeah, I'd, pro- I'd probably agree with Nazareed. Um, that's it's it's up there. Plumley too, but there's a lot of good there's a lot of uh, good arguments as to why that wouldn't be good. Um, so yeah, I don't have a cemented answer at the moment. All right, the mics are open, guys. If you want to speak, feel free to request. Uh, if not, I think we'll wrap up in, in about five to ten minutes if uh, nobody else has any questions for Bryant here. Brian, I want to ask you um, your thoughts. Do you think the Rudy Gobert trade is going to have any effect on this trade deadline um, in regards to teams just not pulling a trigger or um, you know teams asking too high for certain players? Do you think that's going to have any effect? Uh, probably. Um, it, it that probably reset the landscape for uh, all sort of you know near star trades moving forward. Um, gone are the days where you know a, a, a very fair and reasonable trade like Tyrese Halliburton and Sabonis could be done with no picks. Um, it, it, that's the main reason why. I, I don't want to see the Kings go out there and trade three first-round draft picks and their young guys. I don't want to see that. Um, and, and I don't necessarily know that any team is going to make big trades if that's the asking price, because all they have to do is look at uh, Minnesota and see, oh, boy, they probably wish they had made that trade right now. Yeah, and for Sacramento, you know, I feel like that our picks are so valuable to us, you know, because, I mean, we're such a small market team. So, and the way Monty's been drafting lately um, has been super awesome. So, yeah, I, I definitely wouldn't want to see them, you know, mortgaging three first round picks for, you know, any certain player. I just think that's completely outrageous. And the Wolves are a perfect example of trading momentum and vibes for a big name. It's tragic, honestly. Um, anywho, uh, Meg, what's going on? Welcome. Hey, guys. Um, so I, I came in late, so sorry if I'm asking something that you guys already covered. Just tell me that it's in the beginning of the recording. But um, I guess I'm like an amateur, you know, college ball watcher. And I think the thing I got really wrong in my ball watching from last year was like kind of undervaluing college centers and like thinking they wouldn't look as great in the NBA because we don't play the same style as they're playing in the NCAA. So I'm just curious, like if you try to evaluate, you know, the NBA positionally at all, when you're looking at guys draft wise, or if you're just looking like for standouts, um, I mean, you know, and stars basically. I think it always comes down to role and skill set. And that's not to say that, you know, size doesn't, size absolutely has an impact. Like the the number one thing in my evaluation is I always gravitate towards size plus skill. Um, And having said that, definitely did not think Walker Kessler was going to be a top five rookie this year. Um, So, you know, draft evaluators, clearly struggle with modern bigs as much as any sort of 
player archetype nowadays. Um, and and if you can't shoot at a high level, I think that that defaults a lot of players lower on boards. Um, so I, I don't know if that really answered your question, but um, it, it is hard to evaluate big men at the next level unless they clearly have the speed or shooting ability to have a, a clear translation at the next level. And uh, there will always be diamonds in the rough, apparently. Is it okay if I ask another question? No, I just want to also admit that I underestimated Walker Kessler as well. Mine's Jalen Duran. I mean, I absolutely loved him, but I didn't quite think he would be as awesome as he is. Like, because he was kind of not playing a ton of minutes, and they would pull him out. And but he's been fantastic as well. But I, my, well, I think to to your Jalen Duran point, I think one thing that does get overestimated in draft evaluations is how players look in their current collegiate situation. Because Jalen Duran was not in a great situation at Memphis. Like they had no ball handlers. They were making Imoni Bates play point guard and that did not work. And it hid Jalen Duran's um it, it hit him to some certain extent. And I mean they were still on the NCAA tournament team. They played Gonzaga uh, and Round of 32, I think. Um, but that is always something it, it, that I've tried to do is you can't just look at what a guy is doing for his collegiate team because what they're doing right now in college is not always and not, not most of the time, I think, what they're going to do at the next level. Yeah, Duran became online for me, though. And Drew and I, we talked about this last year was when um, Chet and him went head-to-head. And he looked just as formidable as Chet did. And he looked like an NBA player uh, amongst boys, uh, with an exception of Chet. And and so it's like, yeah, he's he's going to be good. Because, yeah, he was looking like Sean Kemp back then. You know what I mean? Um, thank you so much, Meg. Drew, my MBIC, what's happening? My MBIC. Um yeah, just what's up, what up, Bryant? Let's go, Gales. That's the real reason why I'm up here. I'll get to that in a second. But let's um, go, Gales. But yeah, just just to just to piggyback off of the Walker Kessler Jalen Duran thing. Like Jalen Duran was he was seventh on my big board. I mean, I think some people you know will probably look at you crazy if you if you put a big that high, especially with you know so many good players in that in that top eight, top nine last season. But just based off of pure talent alone. Jalen's crazy, man, and and to get him at like thirteen or whatever it was that he went, uh, that's just insane value for Detroit. He's gonna be he's gonna be really good. I, I I remember turning on a game. I think they played Wichita State, like random game, random conference game in like January, and he started showcasing some like a little bit of a mid range game, and I was like, okay, like if he's if he's got that now and if he can develop that, he's gonna be so nasty. And I mean, him, Jaden Ivey, Kate Cunningham, that's gonna be a really fun group to watch for years to come. Uh, and then Walker Kessler, I, I I always figured maybe he could make an impact at some point. I just didn't think it'd be this soon. Uh, he's awesome. Like to think that Utah hasn't really lost a step in rim protection with him out there after trading away Rudy Gobert, it's 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 pretty staggering. And then getting a chance to see him in person a few weeks ago um, when they were in Sacramento, I mean that guy, that that, that guy's he's he's 
Minnesota giving up all that depth plus Walker Kessler. I mean, just I, 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 I couldn't phrase any better than you could, Daly. Um, giving up vibes for a big name and a splash move like that, you sacrifice a lot. And to see both those teams, you know, basically in the same position in the standings is is, is pretty crazy to think about. And, and Walker Kessler is literally putting up go big yeah. numbers. It's yeah, like it's it's rookie year. It's it's crazy. And and if I could think of one guy this year that's like kind of in like that Walker Kessler, Jalen Dern, uh, I guess Mark Williams. I could have maybe group him in that group as well from last year. Zach. Um, yeah, Zach. Yeah, Zach. Zach Eady. Yeah, maybe. But I was thinking like like Derek Lively as a freshman at Duke, being legit seven one. And doing some of the rim protection stuff that he does, I'm wondering how that'll translate. And he's got major upside as well since he's so young. So I'll be interested to see a little bit more of him. I haven't gotten a chance to watch much Duke this year. Apparently, I'm not missing much. They're not doing very well. But yeah. Um, but but yeah, he's. I've only I've only watched uh, uh, one full Duke game, and I wasn't exceptionally impressed mm-hmm. uh, for Kyle. So he's definitely somebody I have to circle back and watch. Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, again, the real reason why I'm up here is because I wanted to talk Gales to you real quick. Sorry if this deviates from the main conversation, but Bryant, uh, the Gales are going to the Final Four, aren't they? Yes, absolutely. All right, cool. This is the best team that Randy Bennett has ever coached. And, and, and you and I talked about this last week, but how crazy is it that they lost so much and yet they are better <laughs> this season? <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> Well, when you get a freaking freshman who who just comes in like and he has, it's it's I I still can't. I've watched the highlight reel from the Gonzaga game like five times. And I still can't believe a, a skinny freshman is doing that to some of the best defenders in the WCC. It just makes no sense. Yeah, he his. His shot variation around the rim is just is just nuts to me. I, I don't believe that he only averaged seventeen a game last year as a high school senior. That that's that I, like I don't I don't know what was happening there at Campo Lindo, but his coach must have been holding him back. It's the classic oh my coach was holding me back story. It had to have been because that kid <laughs> to come into the WCC and average fifteen a game right away and to just be a pick and roll maestro like him, it just it doesn't quite make sense, but. Yeah, man, I'm 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 glad that both the this might be the first time ever that the uh, the Gales are as good as they are and the Kings are good as well at the same time. So it's it, it's been nice. This That's ball. crazy. Yeah, pretty nuts, dude. Pretty nuts. So, have you guys caught any Khalil Ware games? Uh, I did uh, watch just because I knew you'd ask about him. Um, and, He's underwhelming, is he not? Yeah. Uh, well, I at, at the same time, like, it, however, he got convinced to go to Oregon. Like, he, he it's a bad spot for him because Oregon's got two seniors in uh, Dante and and Quincy Guerrier. They're just snagging all the big man minutes. Um, and I've seen a couple Kings fans wondering about where considering like team's need for rim protection and like he's still averaging 3.2 blocks per 40 minutes uh and he wants to be a floor spacer he's taking four threes per 40 minutes but he's just hitting him in a 28 percent clip but he's the kind of project player you know there's tons of physical upside um i i just don't see we've seen this king's front office gravitate towards that level of project player yet 
um, they, they totally go for high instinctual and more developed guys. Uh, and, you know, where seven foot tall and 210 pounds like, he's another dude who's years away from figuring out who he can guard at a high level at the, at, in the NBA. Yeah, and he's another prospect that I feel like is, is in the mix or, or on big boards due to his high school resume, more so than what he's doing now, right? Yeah. Like, Yeah, unfortunately so. Um, and, and, and as the season goes on and on and on and, and he doesn't get more and more minutes, I think it's going to be pretty hard to look at a big man shooting 43% from the field and, and be like, yeah, i got to give him a, a, a top 20 grade. But um, he, he's not doing it like some of the other guys we talked about. Like Jalen Duran blows him out of the freaking water in terms of freshman ability. Peter, what's going on, man? Thank you for coming through. Welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me. I heard my guy's name, Kalel Ware, and I, I had to chime in just because um, I I did hear, I caught um, a little bit of what Bryant was saying about sometimes just being the situation uh, that, uh, the, you know, whatever college big man, like wherever they're at, um, determines a lot about how they look and then a lot of these guys you know they're just one and done or whatever so like we only see them for a year maybe and like that's assuming that they don't get injured or whatever it's not a ton of time to like get integrated with the team especially when you've got guys that have been there and just like know the system um and maybe they have other things on their mind as well um you know getting ready for the league or whatever but like we started the season and it looked like, like I just like frequent a ton of like mock drafts. To be honest, like I don't really watch a ton of college ball. I don't like really claim to be like an expert or anything. And like I just kind of procrastinate on like watching like any tape or doing anything like that until actual draft time most years. Um, but from what I can tell, it seems like he's slipping from like the mid lottery range. Um, which is where he was at at the beginning of the season to like now he's anywhere towards the end of the lottery, like, you know, at the earliest. And then like at, in a lot of cases, like in the late teens, early twenties, which should be around where we're picking. And um, yeah, I mean, Brian and I uh, like talked about it briefly on the timeline one time, I think I believe it was him, but like we both kind of like have the same, I feel like we both kind of like have the same understanding of like, that's not Monty's track record per se. Like that's not the type of um, player that he usually goes for. Um, But then again, like, you know, drafting top 14, it's a lot different than drafting, um, you know, top 20, uh, top 25 or wherever they end up. But, I mean, top three in the West, you got to think, like, it's going to end up probably being, like, mid-20s. So, I mean, who knows? Uh, Chris Murray might end up being in that range as well. And then, you know, that would just make all all the sense in the world as well. So we could just be doing all this, like, wondering, and it just ends up being another Murray twin. <laughs> yeah, um, and that's certainly possible, although I, I definitely think Chris Murray has a real chance to be getting uh, higher and higher up draft boards as we get along in the process. 
Jill, welcome. What's going on? Hey, guys. So, Brian and I got to have a little victory party today. We don't we don't know how long it'll last, but, um, you know, because I know there's, he still could be traded. You know, moves could still be made, but for today, we're having <laughs> um, a victory party. So, um, excited for us on that one, buddy. Yeah, Kessler Edwards. I had a first-round grade on him a year ago. Um, so I love, I love this move, like going and getting a, a young guy for a salary dump. Like, that's incredible. Even if he, even if it doesn't work out, if he spends a couple weeks uh, with the team in the G League and it just it, his shot never comes back along, I, you know, it, it's one of those low risk, no penalty whatsoever, high reward moves that we've always, always asked this Kings team to do. Like, please, just go and try right. to get those kind of guys. Um, and it didn't cost right. you anything. No, <laughs> so, not at all. Like, you literally got him for free. They just sent right. him here, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was it was the TPE, and then they sent them rights to, like, a 28-year-old who's not, who's not playing never, in the league. Never, ever heard of that guy. They, you're right. The, you're the right. rights they sent him to, never had heard of him. Yeah, I feel um, bad, but... It's like the Kiki Palmer thing. That dude could walk by you, and I'd have no idea that you existed. <laughs> like, I have no idea who that is. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm excited. I I, I hope uh, I hope he gets a, a real shot in the G League, and who knows? Maybe maybe as the season goes on, he'll get a call up for a game or two and cost somebody a billion dollars. But yeah, the other one I was going to ask you guys, similar to because I know. Um, I think it was John Hollinger put out an article and it was talking about the different teams that um, would be looking to drop money, right? Like it was the Warriors could be dropping um, $121 million if they send Wiseman away, essentially. Um, but another team listed, right, was the Sixers. And I know you guys talked about Thibel, but I'm curious, you know, in that kind of deal, because normally when we talk about it, it's not just him, but what do you guys think of Paul Reed? He's another one that's kind of been in Doc's doghouse. He's young. Um, but I do think it's more he's not a veteran, right? Like when you see those teams that have the championship aspirations, like the Nets, right? Like you're looking at Cam Thomas, you know, go off. And it's like, well, we knew that's what kind of player he was in, in college. He was a microwave type guy. But he wasn't getting consistent minutes because look at all the vets you have around him. You have Seth Curry, you have Durant, you had Kyrie, you had O'Neal, um, you had Joe Harris. Like, obviously, he's not going to play in front of those guys. So, curious if you guys have thoughts on Paul Reed and that he's another backup center that if, you know, the center position ends up being too rich out there in the trade market, taking a flyer on another type of player like that that's making the same kind of money that's that – uh um, Kessler's making, I think he's making also like 1.6. Um, how you viewed him coming out of the draft, and uh, if you think he would be anything worth possibly targeting as a, a low risk reward type move? Uh, I, I absolutely would love to see uh, him be, you know, the same kind of Nas Reed. I think I'd prefer Nas Reed, but you know, the backup centers who aren't getting used on for some reason or another, yeah, send them over. Let's see. Um, had a huge block rate 
back in DePaul. I remember that. Uh, and I remember the two Philly games we watched this year, the, the Kings played this year. Uh, I was pretty impressed on how he was playing, albeit the Kings' backup big men. Um, so it seems like another uh, low-risk, high-reward kind of trade. Yeah, can we just have a bouncy athletic big for once? <laughs> you know what I mean? On the bench somewhere? I just feel like every NBA team has one except for us. Yes, absolutely. And and I feel bad because every time they throw uh, Sabonis a lob, it, it's like he just doesn't have that second bounce that you know other more athletic players do. And, and it's not a problem because he still kills it. But still, it's like, you know, and I guess we have Metu, but, you know, let me have a, a 710 crazy athletic person just blocking a shots seven, and, and throwing down oops. 710 seven, daily, all no, right. 610, come on, I misspoke. Don't well actually me. <laughs> well, no, if there's a 710 out there that's bouncy, yeah, I'd like that. That's oh, that's coming in 20 years, I'm sure. Yeah. So, Wemby's um, kid. Right. So, Bryant or Drew, I don't I don't know how much college basketball have you you've been watching, but um is there anybody on here, you know, outside of the lottery or at least late lottery that has a that's like super athletic that may have like superstar potential? Kind of like Anthony Black, if he gets in the right spot and somebody takes real, real patience with him. Um, let me see. I see everybody talking about Brandon Miller, but uh, I saw the oh, Arkansas-Alabama yeah. game, and it's like nobody popped off. And granted, I know it's college ball, so they're not allowed to showcase what they can really do, but it's like go, I see go everybody Brandon, talking about him. Go watch Brandon Miller's uh, highlight reel against Gonzaga. Like, he's going to be a, a very, very good scorer. At the next yeah, and, and that's the tricky thing about – looking at draft prospects, you have to watch like two or three games because you may get a stinker of a game, you know? Mm-hmm. It, it's definitely funny because it's the inverse as well. Like the couple of games I've watched for Alabama, I started watching because I was like, oh, well, I should check out Brandon Miller. People are going crazy about it. And in each one of those games, I look at his teammate, Noah Clowney, and I'm like, this guy's shooting the hell out of the ball. He's going crazy. He's got to be a first-round pick, and then I look at his numbers, and he's shooting 23, 26% from three. Like It's it's the inverse, too. you got to make sure that the games you watch aren't their only good ones. Yeah, and every time I watch Arkansas, it's, it's Ricky Council who's going off instead of you know the people that they're telling me to watch. So it's really interesting. Um, Drew, did you want to add to that? Yeah, I was wondering uh, how much of Max Lewis – have you guys seen this year? Bryant, he's a WCC fellow. Um, yeah, and, you missed, and you missed the Max Lewis conversation. Okay, okay. Yeah, I kind of figured you probably touched on him a little bit. I, I, I Man, I was expecting so much more out of him, uh, Houston Millette, and Mike Mitchell because those guys came in together, and I'm like, that's an insane class for Lorenzo Romar. And Lorenzo Romar seems like he's going to be forever known as an awesome recruiter that just could not get results. Yeah, you know, I have a friend who pretty much watches every WCC game. Um, and, and you know, as soon as I started watching Max Lewis tape, I reached out to him. And I was like, hey, is there anything I need to know about this team construct? And he said, uh, Lorenzo knows how to do less with more better than pretty much anybody <laughs> in college basketball. Uh, 
sounds like. Oh, oh man. I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure Daly knows that too. Because I mean, oh, he, he coached at U Dub, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Back yeah. in the day, and yeah, he we'd kill him every time. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, really, it was just the um, the Brandon Roy years were like you know the the peak of Lorenzo Romar's coaching powers and 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 you know he couldn't even get to a final four with you know pretty good group around Brandon Roy so i yeah it's it, it's tough man and and you know it seems like a great dude and obviously there's a reason why they hired him and you know he, the reason why he stuck around there a little longer than you probably would expect for a guy who just has not really gotten the most out of those groups but i mean dude you know i, I outside of like the Colby Lewis uh, years a couple years ago he really has underachieved so drew stay in the speakers because uh, i do have a question after um daniel asks his question daniel what's up oh i feel like i'm jumping everybody off topic now i'm the only no one no no go for college it. basketball apparently but i appreciate all the breakdowns i'm sitting here frantically googling all these guys that you're mentioning so <laughs> I, 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 i'm just trying to keep up but um two things first i wanted just to say that i, I agree with brian in terms of I, if I were in control, I wouldn't necessarily want the Kings to be huge buyers this at, at the trade deadline, short of like there being some obvious like huge uh, discount on a player that you know we're willing to pull the trigger on. Um, I'd love to see like a secondary signing, a smaller signing like a Nas Reed. Um, so I just wanted to kind of concur with that. I definitely agree. Um, but upon giving it more thought, I think Jared Vanderbilt would be my number one target. Um, I think that just what he brings uh, is exactly what the doctors prescribing for this team. Just length and defensive presence and, you know, a stopper and a guy who can rebound and, um, you know, developing offensive game. So I, w- I think that'd be my guy. Awesome. I get it. Totally. Um, so Bryant does have to go soon. And, and I did promise him I, I would ask a few questions before he goes. Okay, so the first question, and I'm only asking this because uh, I think last year I would see Bryant in these conversations on my timeline about tacos, and, and they were arguing over the best meat and all that. So, so here we go, Bryant. Start, bench, or G League. This is the taco edition. Birria, Al Pastor, or Asada? Uh, I'm starting Asada for sure. Like, if I'm not getting a carnitas burrito, it's because I'm getting a sauna. Um, I keep Alpha Store on the bench. That's certainly in the rotation. I can't remember the last time I had beer yet, so I guess that goes down to the G League. I should probably see if any of our regular Mexican spots has it on the menu and give it another try. I saw somebody talking about there's a there's a case of beer joint in Sacramento. I don't know who it was or where they are, but uh, we have tons of them out here, and it's amazing. So um, we're going to end with this question, and, and Drew, you'll appreciate this. Start, bench, or G League, Patty Mills, Jacques Landale, or Dilly? I, you know, this is a mean question, but honestly, it's, it's, it's kind of easy for me. Um, I'm starting the patron saint of St. Mary's basketball, the greatest collegiate player in St. Mary's history, and that's Matthew Delavidova. Um I will keep Patty Mills on the bench because he is, without a doubt, the best NBA player to come through St. Mary's program. 
And unfortunately, that means poor Jock has to go down to the G League, which is unfortunate because I would love if the Kings traded for him right now to have him as that backup behind Sabonis. Oh, that would be so sweet. Yeah, he was a revelation. No, just out of nowhere. And the second time I, I looked at Jock when he came out in St. Mary's, it's like, yeah, no, sorry, dude. I don't think that's happening. And there you go again, another uh, center evaluation. A dude, I watched a hundred games of. Uh, yeah, no, the NBA will always have uh, time and minutes for uh, smart big men. Brian, this was a pleasure, man. This was great. Uh... I, I appreciate it, guys. And apparently LeBron just broke the record. So. Yep, oh, wow. I just broke it. Good for him. Good timing. All right, Brian. So I hope you come back later on around March Madness, maybe, if you can. Uh, that would be Absolutely. great. All right. Take care, Brian. Thanks, Brian. Thank you all. All right. So before we go, I want to ask you guys, um, I think Monty usually drafts for need, and he's very practical. But is it bad to think that I kind of want the Kings to kind of take a risk on, on someone who might be a superstar? Someone that's athletic, skilled. I mean, I know those players are usually in the top 10 anyways, but maybe he could find a sneaky prospect at wherever we're going to draft. Maybe it's 20, maybe it's 25, maybe it's 29. I don't know. What do you guys think? Uh, question. Maybe you've already covered him but have you had any Jalen Hood Shafino conversation yet you know what I, I just saw his name for the first time last night when I was uh, I think I was looking at a fan sided big board and I was like who is this because my guy is Jeremy Wu and he didn't have him on there at all and I'm looking at Jeremy Wu's like December big board but uh, no I haven't have you checked him out yeah he's pretty good <laughs> I'll, I'll say that I, he's um, and I actually have a buddy who actually lives in the Pittsburgh area. That's where he's from. And my buddy was like, yeah, man, I, I can't think of a guy who's a, who was a bigger deal than him um, in all the years that he was watching, you know, Pittsburgh area high school sports playing there as well. I mean, he, he, he hasn't been that long since he's been out of high school. And he's like, yeah, man, Jalen was pretty crazy. Might be the best prospect that's ever come out of Pittsburgh. Um, you know, and that's you know, saying a lot. I don't know exactly who's from there, but I'm sure there are some pretty notable names. He was saying, yeah, it's, it, it's, he was definitely a huge deal. And it kind of seemed like, uh, to start the season, he was trying to get his feet under him a little bit, try to figure things out. And now he's a big reason why that team's kind of rebounded daily. I mean, Indiana was in the mud a few weeks ago, it seems besides like. Besides Trace, though, right? Because every time besides, I watch yeah, Indiana, besides, yeah, I, I'm exactly. looking at Trace, who has yep. improved yep. leaps and bounds. You know yep. what I mean? 100%. 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, Trace Trace definitely is a, is a big reason why, you know, they definitely you know, stayed afloat and all that stuff uh, while they are kind of going through a little bit, you know, a, a little bit of a, a struggle there a few weeks ago because a lot of people were thinking, like, dude, like, you know, they keep, they keep their form up right now. How are they going to get into the tournament? Well, they just beat the number one team in the nation. <laughs> so that that'll help their resume. They're going to be in, but you know, besides Trace Jackson Davis, you know, Jalen Hood Shafino is the other guy on the team where I, I I I see and hear a lot about him. I have um I, I've caught only one Indiana game this year, and and I didn't I didn't really get to see too much of him that game. I think that was still pretty early on in the season, but 
he he's showing some things. You know, offensively, at six six, he can be your lead guard. Um, uh, the shots there. I mean, the tools are there, and honestly, defensively, he's flashed some stuff as well. You know, there was uh, I saw a few clips of him in his screen navigation against on ball screens, and I was like. Okay, that's that's something I didn't know about this guy until you know the other day when somebody posted a video of him, and I'm like, yeah, he he might be a guy, he might be a name to watch, and and, and kind of the same deal with me, Daily. I, I check sites and whatnot and see where he's where he's uh, he's ranked or where he ends up on mock drafts. Some people don't even have him in the first round. Um, some people don't even have him on there at all, which is kind of interesting. Maybe they just I don't know. Maybe they're catching on a little bit late with him, but he's really really intriguing and. I'm not saying it would put the. I, I don't think he's a player that would put the Kings in the same situation they were a year ago with Tyrese and Fox and Davion trying to figure out the balance between three point guards. But you can probably find a role for him right now on this team, given the way that he plays. And I'd, I'd be interested to see, like, if the Kings do end up in the 20s somewhere, and if that's where he ends up going, if his stock rises, maybe they could, maybe they could, maybe they could take him, and and he would be the kind of like the antithesis of a Monty McNair guy, right? Like he's a freshman. Right. He's not, you know, quote unquote ready right away, but he might be worth investing in. If you really believe in your core and your top four or five guys, like, you know, throw them out there, have them in the rotation or on the fringe rotation and see what you can do in, in some limited minutes and maybe let him grow from there. So is his athleticism like elite? No, I, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say his athleticism is elite. No, I mean, I, it's not like he's a negative athlete, but it's, it's not like it jumps off the page or anything like that. Uh, he just, he's just one of those guys that's like, okay, yeah, he's not going to jump out of the gym, but his lateral movement's pretty good. And he's really, really fluid for, you know, 18, 19 years old at six, six doing what he's able to do both on and off the ball. So I'm, I'm interested to see, you know, what, what happens with his stock as the season goes on. And obviously in March when all eyes are on the tournament, um, that might be that might be when things get a little crazy. Who knows? He could be one of those guys that just rises um, out of nowhere. He could be, you know, maybe this year's Jalen Williams, right? Right. Well, you know, my guy is another Big Ten guy, Bryce Sensabaugh. and oh yeah, he's not a Monty McNair guy either. You know, no, it no, pisses no. me off, dude. It's like, oh, freshman. But yeah, I, I really want us to get a six six guy that that's just right there. I want our own Ben Matherin. I am so jealous. I mean, I love Keegan, but. I see Ben Matherin play in what he does as a sixth man in his skill set. And uh, yeah. Yeah, Bryce is awesome, but I'm I'm totally with you right there. He's he's not a Monty McNair guy. Honestly, yeah. my mind immediately goes to, well, if the Kings end up in like the late teens or in the twenties, like and if Chris Murray's stock is, you know, hasn't, you know, jumped through the roof and if he's there on the board, I I would not be shocked if he was the pick. Because yeah, and, he just come in and just do what Keegan does. And every every Iowa fan I talk to online, you know, which is like four big sample size, right? But yeah, they all say, yeah, I don't think they want to play together. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know if it'll work, man. Um, Elizabeth or Naima, any more comments or questions? No, not really. This is a really fun conversation. Always love learning more about the draft and college players because i don't watch men's college basketball like that but um it was on honestly the best uh thank you to brian again so yeah well you're watching wnba and soccer <laughs> yeah I have a yeah lot. you're busy I man I, I was gonna say naima you're the reason why i even know anything about it's like you and mark schindler are the only reason why i know anything about 
women's college hoops. So thank Period. you. Bro. Love that for me. Love that for you. <laughs> and, and Drew, shout out Mark Schindler for his his podcast. Like those interviews that he has with oh, like, dude, these college players. I'm like, man, oh, so they're good. awesome, dude. They're awesome. And and he does so him and 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 uh Nikias Duncan, like those guys do so much for for you know just trying to spread more knowledge and more awareness for the WNBA. Like we're in a I, we're in a really special era right now for women's hoops in general but the WNBA is is right now in in a spot where like i if 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 they're if they're staying on their current trajectory right now it's going to be huge and there's going to be expansion and all this cool stuff that might be coming that way so i'm glad that those guys are like always keeping us in the loop and always keeping us informed with the W and women's college hoops no seriously and jill am i uh, am i shameless if you see me walking around in a, in a liberty jersey cuz that might happen just a little bit, Daily. <laughs> <laughs> Sabrina, we'll man. It. We'll allow it. Sabrina, come on. No, I mean that that group of players is is gonna be a fun watch. I mean, no doubt. Um, but I was gonna say too what Drew just brought up about Mark. He just um, announced while you guys were on here that uh, Neil Ivy is his next um, guest, which is Jaden uh, Ivy's mom. And for those that don't know, she's the head coach at Notre Dame for women's basketball. But she also was a WNBA player and played in the WNBA while pregnant with Ivy. So, um, yeah, she's a total badass. And so that's his next guest. So I definitely recommend, like Drew said, listening to him and um, another fun guest coming up. Yeah, she's awesome. I may be a UConn fan, but she's awesome in what she's doing with Notre Dame after Muffet retired and everything. It's great to see. So question for everybody before we go. Is there a, a coach's son in the NBA that isn't good? I always feel like coaches' daughters or sons are usually – they at least have that basketball feel for the game and, and they're adequate. Is there somebody who was a bust or bad? I feel like anybody that wasn't, they ended up going to coaching because there's a lot of coaches too, coaches' kids. Right. So they at least made it in some aspect. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, the one I remember who had like a lot of potential is Imani McGee, uh, who's JaVale McGee's actually sister. um, And Pamela, she won like a gold medalist and everything. I don't think she was a bust per se. I think she just went another route. Like Jill just said, she just ended up going to school and everything. So maybe she'll come back to W. I hope so. Like her height is definitely needed. Like she's six, seven. So. Yeah. The, uh, the coach's kid to NBA, WNBA, whatever pipeline is real. Like I, it, and it's so weird. Like even, even with non-pros, my, my high school coach's son was like basically in diapers when I was playing for him. Now he's a junior in high school. And when I watch him play now, I'm like, dude, that kid is, is such a coach's son. Like, he's not the star player. He's not the best player on the team, but his feel for the game and just his understanding of the game is just so good. And I'm just like, God, that it, there's, there's value in having your kid, you know, running around wreaking havoc at practices when they're three, four years old, because eventually they'll just watch and they'll just learn. And it's just wild. Cause I watch them now and I'm just like, yeah, coach's son, hundred percent. Yeah, I get it. And I don't mean to bring up another topic, but because we do have to go. We passed the 90 minute mark. We're going full Rogan right now. But um, player sons, like, why does Carlos Boozer's son look like the second coming of LeBron? And he's only like 15 or 16. He looks good. 
Yeah. And yeah, then super yeah, he looks crazy. And I'm still bitter that uh Paige's son is, is going to Stanford. Yeah, same. <laughs> I can't wait to see his development though. I mean, just because we've seen it here locally in the last four years, but I mean, and the rest of the country seems to be, you know, in the last year finding out about him, but I mean, kid can shoot the ball. We'll we'll see if he ends up being right. Like, I mean, Peja was a sniper, but the kid can play. Yeah, well, he's like Peja with a bag. Like, what right? is this separation <laughs> stuff? Else too. <laughs> behind the bag dribbles, and yeah, it's crazy. So, all right, you guys, I appreciate everyone who came through tonight. Uh, Meg's not here. She fell off, but thank you, uh, Jill, Drew, Chef Murray, Shannon, Tyler, Eric, Peter, Joseph, Daniel, Enrique. You guys are the best. Thanks for showing up. We appreciate it. We are Beam Unit, uh, and have a good night. Take care. Thanks, y'all. Why the Beam?